Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell and as always I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse Pam McMillan. Hey Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing really good, Pam. How about you? I'm good. It's another Tuesday. It is. It is. And we have a great one today. I think so. Um, You know, something that's hard, I think, in general in life is communicating. It is. And I know that we talk about communication. I think that's our favorite word around here. It seems like it, right? (laughs) But it's kind of that common thread that is woven in amongst almost all every one of our podcasts. Yes, I think it's important. It's important that we um, learn how to communicate better. Yes. So um, we are excited to introduce our guest today. We have Natalie Henning. Um, She is a licensed professional counselor. We're excited to have you, Natalie. How are you today? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us on uh, such an important topic. I'm glad to be here. So let's start. Give us some key things that we can do um, to help communicate better. Well, I think that we first want to start with the fact that communication is important. And a lot of times people think that they're engaging in communication and they're really not. And what I mean by that is sometimes we get caught up talking at each other and we're not listening and we're not talking to each other. Um, we get caught up in day-to-day stuff and we forget to, to talk about and to touch on those important things. And when you add a cancer diagnosis um, and treatment and everything that goes along with that, then the need for communication just goes up exponentially. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that. You know, um, talking to and talking at is so much different, as you said, than talking about feelings and talking about situations and talking about important life decisions. And then that added piece of listening to what the other person's saying. So let's, so let's talk about that, Natalie. You talked about, um, when when the cancer diagnosis comes in and, uh, obviously that, uh, rocks everyone's world. And, um, it seems like. Uh, as we've talked about, Pam, the roller coaster starts mm-hmm. and it's really out of control and uh, you buckle in and, and you're on it. And uh, next thing you know, there's new feelings, there's new issues, there's new discussions that need to happen. And a lot of times then we, we um, as caregivers and caregivees tend to split into those those roles tremendously, right? Right. And it differentiates really different from spouse or mother or father, those kinds of things. Yes. Um, so it's necessary whenever your family member or your spouse um, is going through cancer treatment and you're their caregiver, it's necessary for those roles to change, right? Um, you're going to need to remind of doctor's appointments. You're going to go with there and advocate. It's a different role. And so it's really important um, when you're going through that to communicate any difficulties that you're having with those roles, whether you're the patient or whether you're the caregiver. And then if you're looking at after treatment or treatment maintenance, it's really, really important at that point to communicate about those role changes um, because 
especially, you know, in a marital relationship, we want to have a partner. We don't want to have a caregiver as the person that Uh we're trying to share the rest of our lives with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an interesting point, probably really when you think about um, a metastatic patient or a leukemic patient um, that is going to be on treatment long term. Mm -hmm. And when does that role switch, right? I mean, I think in my, you know, I've, I've used this example before when my wife had sinus surgery and it was a very short period of time and, um, but it, it lingered long, it seemed like. And, you know, when we talked about caregiver fatigue and I mm-hmm. explained how, how I didn't really realize how real it was until that moment, but then, you know, she got better and everything's fine, but those tend to go a long time. And how do, how, how do you, let's just talk about that one. How do you differentiate when that role needs to switch back? With communication, (laughs) right? Well, that's an easy answer. I mean, that is the easy answer because we have to be aware of how we're feeling and we have to be able to communicate that to the people around us so that they know where we stand and so we know where they stand. Because it's not just... um, It's not just about saying what it is that we're going through, but it's understanding where the other person is coming from and then working together to figure out, okay, what next, Uh right? And so, you know, there's no magical time, you know, during uh, treatment, whether it's a maintenance treatment or um, you're looking for a cure. Um, There's no magical time where roles just automatically go back to where they were because as we've talked about before, you know, Cancer is a traumatic experience. Whenever you go through it, things aren't ever going to be exactly the same. Um, And so then that makes communication and talking about what you're actually going through even more important because if you're struggling to get back to where you were, then you're in a very frustrating place because that place doesn't exist anymore. So how do you start that conversation, let's say, with your spouse or your parent? So if you're if you're in a let's just say a spousal relationship right now, um, and you know you're on maintenance or you're done with treatment, and that person continues to tell you to drink water uh-huh. or eat your dinner <laughs> or go for a walk, yes, and it gets um, well, I mean you could see that it would get aggravating, right? Uh-huh. So being able to say that. You know, gosh, I understand where you're coming from, and I know that we've been through a lot. So let's talk about that, mm-hmm. because it's the person, it's the caregiver's fear, right? right. Yeah. They've got to take care of the person that they love, right? And so it's wor- working through that trauma, working through that grief, working through that fear, that anxiety, that anger that comes along with um, cancer treatment, and that's not to say that all. Um, experiences are negative. Mm -hmm. Um, But to touch on that for a second, you know, your caregiver becomes that super positive, you know, let's go cheerleader person. And and sometimes we've got to deal with the negative. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be positive during treatment and beyond. Absolutely. It makes a huge difference. But we've also got to be realistic. Is that called positive toxicity? where you're positive all the time and sometimes you just don't want to be? It doesn't feel real because mm-hmm. it's it's not. You know, it's it's like if I my house gets blown down by a tornado, I'm like, hey, this is great. Yeah. Right. It's no, not. It's, no, it's not. But it's not the end of the world, right? Mm-hmm. But I still have negative emotions to process through that. So you can be realistically positive. 
<laughs> sure. Yeah, you know, you see that a lot um, in social media. It's uh, there's mm-hmm. there's always a positive spin on everything, mm-hmm. and even when you have you know friends or family or, or people that you know that are going through treatment, and and it's always that way on there. It's like a little a little over the top positive, um, but I could certainly see that. The interesting thing too is to me. Um, I just kind of felt like maybe for the most part, and I know that this is wrong because this is what I felt that maybe it just naturally goes back to normal in, in the relationship, uh, instead of being the caregiver, 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 you know, shuttle driver kind of thing, you know, whatever it was, meal fixer, taking care of the kids, doing all those things that naturally there would be this shift back to semi normalcy. But I know after working with survivors for a number of years, that's not always the case. It's not. You know, it would be nice if everything just fell into place. But a lot of times it takes intentionality, right? If you want things a different way, assuming that the other person knows how that should be doesn't usually work very well. Do you find it hard that people forget what their roles were prior to being a caregiver? I think that um, I think that there's a certain amount of identity struggle for everybody involved in cancer treatment, whether it's mm-hmm. the patient or the caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that idea that you know we've got to figure out who we are now and right. work from there. But to do that, we've got to communicate with each other, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that stand in the way of people being able to communicate with one another. Um, you know especially family systems, they want to present that positive front, mm-hmm. right? Be super positive. What is that sign? As far as everyone knows, we're a normal family. Yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> and we want to be positive, but we also want to be real, right? We want to yeah. be able to be honest and authentic with our family members, especially because those are the people that are your support. Right. Those are your biggest support system. I mean, we have fantastic resources, but at the end of the day, yes. our families are our biggest support system. Um, I've also heard people say that they don't want to be a burden, whether mm. it's the patient to their family members or vice versa, because they're both thinking, well, they have too much on their minds. Yep. I don't want to give them one more thing to stress out about. Well, the difficulty with that is, is then that both people are stressed by themselves. True. Yeah. Right. Right. Because they're both thinking the same thing. They're both experiencing the same anger and anxiety and other negative emotions, but they're just doing it by themselves instead of sharing and coming together and, and sharing that experience. So is there some tools that they can come together to work on that? You know, I really, um, I really encourage like a, like a Mm -hmm. check-in. And it doesn't have to be really any kind of, you know, set schedule. Although if you wanted to set a schedule, you absolutely could. Um, But, you know, let's check in. Let's give ourselves permission. The kids are in bed or we're, you know, in, you know, a a secluded place or we've taken ourselves out of the Mm day-to-day stuff, right? And say, this is what I'm actually going through. Because a lot of times your family member, your partner, um, your spouse, whoever it is, can say, gosh, that's how I feel too. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you're able to say, well, this is why I feel like this. Well, this is why I feel like this. And then you're able to come together and you're able to share that. And a lot of it can get resolved instead of carrying it around separately. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel like maybe they don't want to say exactly the how they feel 
in fear of hurting the other one? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But again, that other person is probably having those same experiences, mm-hmm. right? And we don't want to not give our family members, spouses, partners um, permission to say what they need to say to us right. because uh-huh. they're afraid, yeah. Yeah. right? Because the reason that you're you know, close is because you have in the past done those things. You've right. been real. You've been authentic with the people that are right. that love you. I guess oftentimes we ask, well, how are you today? And what do we normally respond? I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever you might really feel like crap. So there's another block to communication right there because I think that patients and family members and, and caregivers get tired of talking about it sometime. Mm-hmm. And so they stick to, I'm good, thanks, how are you? But you can be honest with somebody and still not talk about it. You can say something like, you know, you know, Pam, how are you? And instead of saying, like, if you're having a bad day, you don't feel good, your, your emotions are high, you feel sick, whatever it is, you can say, you know what, I don't feel the best today, but I don't want to talk about it right now. How are you? Yeah. Right? So you're still being real. You're still being authentic. You're still encouraging that person maybe to check in with you later, uh-huh. but you're not hiding behind the, I'm good, thanks, how are you? Yeah. Uh-huh. You're not minimizing it. And do you feel like whenever, okay, if I'm having a bad day, do you feel like the other person wants to fix it? You know, you come into that a lot and that's would be a that would be a fabulous way to communicate. I don't need you to fix this. I just want you to listen. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because, you know, and especially in um, spousal partner relationships, um, men tend to want to fix. Yes. They just do, you know. Um, and they they can come to a place where they feel helpless or hopeless because, and it's for, it's true for themselves and it's true if it's their spouse or, or family member that is going through cancer treatment. They want to fix it. They want to know what the next step is and all those things, and they forget to, to process the emotional part of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And sometimes there's just not a quick fix. There's not an easy fix, and there's no reason why. And that's hard for a lot of people, too. Yeah, it's hard but to put you, your finger on it. Mm-hmm. But you can listen. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's important when you listen. You know, you talked about skills. Active listening is a skill. You've got to stop. And it's so hard, you know, in this day and age to to pull yourself away from your phone, your yes. computer, your email, the TV, mm-hmm. the news, whatever it is. But you've got to stop and put that stuff away and really get your mind focused on the person. Right. Right? And, you know, you, you have that saying, um, the seven habits of... Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> first to understand uh-huh. and then be understood. You know, if we take that position of I'm going to listen to you first without figuring out what it is that we want to say in rebuttal, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when we're having conversations with somebody, we're already thinking about what we want to say. But when we do that, we're not listening to them anymore. Right, yeah. I understand that. Oh yes, <laughs> and interjecting and saying, but da da da, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think too, at least in my opinion, uh, that active listening too, uh, if you're really focused and you're making eye contact and you're you're in the moment, that other person's body language can tell you a lot as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big part of communication is your body language. Um, you know, making the eye contact, sitting forward. You know, not 
making too much creepy eye contact. Um, your tone of voice is, mm-hmm. is a big deal. You know, people will say things to each other, but they'll say them in a tone of voice that maybe doesn't um, communicate that authenticity. As I'm sitting here listening to Natalie, I feel like her voice is very soothing. I don't want to get <laughs> mad at her. I know, right? Maybe right. I should try that. There's a reason that that folks like <laughs> Natalie, you know, and, and you see that, right? You see mm-hmm. it with some of our other instructors and some of our other teachers and um, and, and uh, Melanie with massage. They have that soothing and calming mm-hmm. voice, almost like... This is talking about creeping somebody out. I was like, if I, if I just had Natalie's voice telling me go to sleep, go to, I'd, I'd play it at night. I'd probably go right to sleep. Right. right. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's a reason I think um, you do what you do, you know, in counseling. And, and you have that voice that can kind of be um, the instructional voice that you listen to. And our listeners, I hope, are, are, are getting that as well. You know, another thing, too, that let's touch on because it's the uh, elephant in the room, right, is counseling. Um, and there's a lot of options, um, husband and wife, caregiver, spouse, you know, family members and so forth. I mean, we've seen it here, Pam, where, you know, they're struggling with, um, getting through the diagnosis or Mm -hmm. going through the treatment and nearing the end of treatment and needing someone to talk to. And we're constantly, um, saying, you know, counseling is a great option, I just wish there was a different name for it or, or it didn't have this negative, you know, connotation. Um, but let's talk about counseling and let's talk about some of those benefits and how that works. So, um, you know, as an individual, people come and see me and they talk about their experiences, either as a caregiver or as a patient. Um, and a lot of times that includes other people. It includes family members, and they talk about you know being frustrated or not wanting to be a burden. And so having the opportunity to come together with somebody in the room that's not involved, right, and watch the way that they talk to each other as well as listen to the way that they talk to each other, because a lot of times you find it it's talking at. Mm-hmm. And so the biggest benefit for for counseling, I think, when you're talking about family systems, when you're talking about couples, um, even when you're talking about parents and chi- and children, or parents and adults, um, then kind of being able to offer that insight, kind of being able to um, give that support and that encouragement and maybe some different ways to kind of approach it or say it, um, becomes really beneficial for people, um, because we get stuck in our own heads, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're not listening anymore. We're coming up with what we need to, or ought to say in response. And sometimes it just helps to have somebody there saying, okay, wait a minute, that's not what I heard that person say. Mm -hmm. So whenever a person goes to counseling, do they have to just be an open book and give you their whole life story? How does that they work? They have to lay on my couch for at least eight <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not the case at all, um, especially with our population. And our population differs from maybe um, a population that you would see in counseling um, in a private practice or in another system mm-hmm. um, because generally the people that come in, it's the one issue. Right. Uh-huh. It's not, it doesn't necessarily have to do with how they were raised or. You don't get surprised. No. You know, you, you have that, you have the huge cancer diagnosis and that's what they're really needing help dealing with. Uh-huh. Now that's not always the case. I mean, sometimes, um, you know, 
past things influence how we act now and, and, and we can definitely look at that. Um, but there's a lot of just here and now interventions that, um, that assist people with coping now and then they were doing fine before and then they can figure out how to do fine after. Does yeah. that, did that answer? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's almost kind of like just standing in the gap right there mm-hmm. during that time. That's a good way to put it. Um, I've always thought about that because, um, you know, you can't help but feel the way our folks feel when they're going through this because mm-hmm. it, instantly life has changed and it's turned upside down. Um, unless you don't have a family and you don't have a caregiver system, you, it's just you, you know, it's going to affect everyone. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think counseling and, and just talking with someone, as you said, I think that's really important. Who didn't? It's not in it. That's. I mean, you you don't have a stake in in that. You don't. Mm-hmm. You're not in that one that, side that, or the other. That family mm-hmm. system, and you can be that um, uh, non biased and go. Wait a minute. Now this is how this is. You know, and really, that's not what I heard. I think that's really important. I know. Oftentimes, whenever I meet with patients here, they don't want to talk to their family because they don't want to burden burden them anymore. And I always suggest counseling, but they always give me that look like, I don't want to no go. Uh. Uh-uh. So what I would say to somebody that doesn't want to be a burden is that um, when we when we don't burden our family members and they think that everything is okay or they have their own burden that they don't want to share and they think that they're all alone. So when we share a burden, we normalize the things that we're going through with other people. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so... Let's get rid of that word burden um, and say, you know, it's sharing. Because whenever you share a load, the load is less. True. Very true. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what families are for. We're supposed to burden one another. We're supposed to share with one another. We're supposed to dump on everyone. That's what it's Thank God I have a big family. I can burden them all. I I totally agree, though. I really do, honestly. Um, That is an interesting thing when you think about that. so it goes right back to what you said a minute ago. I I don't want to burden them. The caregiver doesn't want to burden the the, the patient or the survivor. Um, so we're only living within our own little heads and worried and and all this undue stress mm-hmm. that could be simplified by just saying, "Hey, here's here's what's going on, and here's here's how I am today." Yeah. Well, and also we want to think about um, whenever we talk about burdening people. Um, we want to think about the fact that that's not how you would react if the other person was in your shoes. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So asking somebody, you know, would you want your family member to tell you if that's what they were going through? Mm-hmm. And kind of putting that on them because they would absolutely want their family member to say, I'm struggling. Tell me. Right? Right. And so putting, you know, putting that on them to kind of see it from a different point of view maybe can also help them to um, to not see it as, as a burden as much as it's information that your loved ones want and need. What about, um, how do we communicate about our treatment options? Like, if I truly don't want to do chemotherapy, but my family's telling me I have to do therapy. Families get scared, right? They don't want to lose their loved one. And, um, it's hard to accept that 
you know, maybe the best thing for my quality of life, how much ever time that is, is to not have treatment anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not giving up. It's just making a different treatment choice. Mm-hmm. Right? right. It's saying instead of getting this treatment, I'm going to focus on my quality. And it's really, really hard for people that love you to think about letting you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then communication becomes so important. Um, you know, letting your family members know, your your partners, your loved ones, letting them know why you're making that choice. You know, is it because you've tried everything? Is it because you want to live the rest of your life the best way you can? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it that you're in pain all the time and you don't want to be in pain all the time? Right. You know, and when we talk to people about things like hospice services, you know, well, I had this family member that was in hospice and they died a week later. Well, it's not that way Mm -hmm. if you seek out hospice services earlier right? They have so much to offer Mm -hmm. patients um, when it comes to making them comfortable and, you know, centralizing their care and taking a lot of stress off so that the patient can just, and the family can just focus on being with one another for whatever time that is left. And even if it's not that kind of, you know, dire situation, even if it is, you know, the, well, the doctors say that I should do chemotherapy because it'll give me this percentage. Um, but if I do this other treatment, then it's only this percentage. It's hard to explain that to family members and loved ones that you're not doing whatever, you know, in quotations, um, you can to survive this. You know, you have to do everything that they say. And sometimes that's going to mess with somebody's quality of life so much that, you know, they, the patient themselves forget what they're fighting for. Mm -hmm. Right. I guess in certain instances, like breast cancer, if they take like an aromatase inhibitor Mm -hmm. after they've done treatment, chemo, whatever, and their quality of life is so bad, but it's only going to help by 3%, I feel like some patients feel guilty for not wanting to do that because it's only 3% or whatever percentage. How do we Mm -hmm. help people communicate that, you know, my quality of life is important? I think just exactly like that, Uh right? To say, um, these are all the things that I'm struggling with. And I know that you love me and I know that you want me to be here for as long as I possibly can. But for me right now, this isn't the best life I can live. And I went through treatment so that I could live. Uh-huh. And how did we take away that guilt for that person? Because you feel guilty because you want to try everything for uh-huh. your family too. So guilt is something that we do to ourselves, uh-huh. right? Um, it's something that we're telling ourselves we should be, we have to, we must, we need to. Mm-hmm. And so taking away those words, right? You know, um, whether you think or whether your family thinks that you should be doing something, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you can, that you're willing to do mm-hmm. and go from there and express it that way? You know, um, whether you think I should be doing this or not, this is what I want to do. And these are the reasons why I want to do this. You know, the, the thing that hit just strikes me really hard is um, there is no book 
No. There's no manual. And Wouldn't we've that talked, be nice? We've talked about that before, you know, in, in terms of survivorship. There, uh, there's no book on putting a survivorship center together. There's no manual on these are the things that you have to do or need to mm-hmm. do. And just like this, there's no book because it's all different, right? Mm-hmm. One, just because you have breast cancer, there's many, many different aspects of breast cancer. And, and you guys that are listening know that. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with, with every other type of cancer. Um, so what may work for one doesn't work for the other. And, and, and really, and truly it's just in my mind, I feel like it just hit me as you were talking is we, and I find I'm including myself in this, Pam, overcomplicate things mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. And if it, you know, I don't want to tell them how I feel because I don't want them to, you know, freak out or for them, I, I'm not, I you know, but it's overcomplication. And if we just, I mean, and, and again, I'm preaching to myself here, <laughs> simplify, right? I mean, they're your loved ones. Yes. They're your, they're your spouse. It's your family. Well, and at core, they're afraid, mm-hmm. right? True. That's true. Mm-hmm. They want you to do everything that you can because they're afraid to lose you. And so whether or not you're taking your aromatase inhibitor or not, that they're still afraid. And so mm-hmm. that's what we have to communicate about, right? Mm-hmm. It's that, um, you know, I understand that you're afraid. I'm afraid too. Let's be afraid together so that we can figure out how to best um, support each other. Yeah. You know, there's this interesting phenomenon, and I've talked about this before. In fact, we talked about it before we started this podcast of um, somewhere along the lines, cancer survivors really lose their inhibitions. And by that, I mean like, you know, because they get poked and they get prodded and they get exposed and they get looked at and they get, you know, felt and they, you know, all of those things. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of that running joke sometimes of here's my port scar or I still have my port. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and as someone working in the, in, in healthcare at the time, it was a shock to me at first, like people are just showing, you know, all of this. And it, it would be nice if we could get that way with communication <laughs> as they are, as survivors are open, open. I mean, yeah. you know, how many times, I mean, you guys listening, how many times have you, you know, now let's, let's take a look at, right. Or let's mm-hmm. see how we're doing. Let's look at these scars or let's look at this. And you, you are really just an open book, except when it comes to communication. It's easier to expose yourself physically than it is emotionally. I know. I know. <laughs> But the, but the same, I mean, the same thing can hold true. Let's look at this fear. Yeah. You know, show mm-hmm. me your scars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could help communicate yes. your fears, your anxieties, your worries. Yeah. You know, um, Natalie, is there anything else that our listeners, you know, need to practice? You talk about um, active listening being something you need to practice. Um, and, and, and skills and the check-in. Is there anything else mm-hmm. that we can impart some knowledge to our listeners on in, in terms of communication that we haven't touched on? Yeah, whenever you're whenever you're setting yourself up to actively listen, um, one of the ways that you can really keep yourself engaged um, in what the other person is saying is to clarify, ask questions, mirror back, um, paraphrase what they're saying. Um, because number one, that keeps you engaged because you're really looking for what they're saying. You're really trying to hear what they're saying and process it. And then number two, it lets them know that you're hearing what they're saying. And so that opens up the line of communication even more. Um, and so, you know, you can just Google active listening skills 
and, you know, things will come up and just be intentional with, um, with listening whenever you're trying to communicate with one another. You know, a lot of times when we talk about communication, um, people automatically go to, well, this is what I want to say. So maybe stopping and saying, you know, what is it that you want to say? What can I hear from you today? Um, and it goes, it goes for everybody. And, um, when we get scared, when we're fearful for our loved ones, it, it turns off a lot of things, right? It turns Uh off our ability to hear, to empathize, um, because we're just overwhelmed by that fear. And so really doing things to take care of yourself and understanding that communication can be self-care as well. Self-care. We've talked about that before too. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, this has been really enlightening. I think just in general, I mean, not coming from a, 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 someone as a survivor or currently in a diagnosis or something like that, but just, I mean, these are great tips that, I mean, we all need to communicate better uh, and we all need to be better listeners. I mean, at least tell my children that, um, <laughs> you know, we need to be in the moment. And um, this is the one time we're giving you guys that are listening permission to Google, you know, I think this is the first we need to mark it down. Normally we say, don't, don't go to get. Dr. Google. And I know doctors, physicians say that too. Don't get on the internet. Right. Don't go to WebMD. And don't say that Natalie said I could Natalie Google said, everything. Natalie said. And her she only number, gave you two words, right? Active, active listening. Active listening. That's it. That's it. You know, Google active listening. And uh, yeah, there's a lot for that. And that's um, kind of goes along with that meditation, you know, being in the moment and Mm -hmm. focusing on uh, what's happening right then and there. Yes, very much so. Mm. You know, one of the things, Natalie, um, because we've been all over the place with this, this podcast, right? Just with communication, but it, but it's, there's a lot here and it it reminds me a little bit of kind of what we have at the survivorship center. We talk about it being a buffet, um, and it's a buffet of healthy foods, right? As, as Whitney, uh, would attest to, mm-hmm. um, in moderation, other foods, but it's a buffet. Mm-hmm. And so with this podcast, we're, we're picking and choosing, or there's things that maybe our listeners can pick and choose from. Well, I'm not struggling with this, this part, but wow, that's really important, you know? And so I think this has been one of those, uh, discussions that will touch most every listener in one piece or another. Well, I think it can touch anyone that's trying to communicate to anyone, bosses, yeah. spouses, kids, um, better ways to communicate. Yeah. I mean, regardless of a cancer diagnosis, I think we all probably could improve on our communication skills. Um, but it just makes it so much more important when you're going through something so traumatic to stick together. True. Speaking of sticking together, what about um, communicating in support groups? How do you feel about those? Support groups are great. Um, it's one thing for me to sit in a one-on-one session or a family session and be that uninvolved observer, and it's something completely different to hear, been there, done that um, with other people mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I think it, it – lends more to their credibility, right? Because uh-huh. if they've been through it, then I can look at that um, and kind of see what they've done. And is that going to help me? Is that not going to help me? So um, support groups, I, I highly recommend them. I like that's just another way to help 
communicate. It really is. And, and to communicate in a different way with different people. Well, and what I've seen in our support group and support groups that, that I've been a part of is there's absolutely no judgment. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it is, I mean, if there is a support group that gets it, it's a cancer support group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and no, they're not there to sit there and, you know, um, woe is me and it's not a pity party. Um, it is a share and it is a discussion and it is how can we help you? You know, we're, you talk about sharing the load. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're sharing the load with, you know, eight or 10 people or however many that are there. And I think the neat thing about the support group here at the Survivorship Center, it's also for the caregivers. Yes. So other caregivers can see what other caregivers are right. doing. Right. So. Because as I said, right, there's no manual mm-hmm. and you're not on step 15, you know, and <laughs> how many steps <laughs> in this have, book? <laughs> you got 32 more to go. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not the case, right? Right. I mean, it, it is. So, it is so one of those things that um, it's so individualized and that you can lean on someone else who's been there or is there and share that burden and share that load. Well, you know, and in, in especially um, support groups that um, I've been involved in. We have long-term survivors that go to that. And so Uh it helps so much for people that are right in the middle of it to say, you know, you know, when did you, or how long have you Mm -hmm. you been been in somebody say, I've been 23 year cancer survivor. And I think that gives hope to the other survivors in that group. Yes. 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 Yeah. Because you know, you said something a second ago and it always just makes me cringe when I hear someone say, Oh, they, they tell the horror story, right? Oh, oh, my grandfather had that and he, he died in, you know, six weeks or gosh, it was so terrible watching him or her. And those are the worst things that you can say. And you know, that person doesn't necessarily mean harm, but it is. And it's one of the, like you said about hospice. Oh, they went to hospice and they died two days later. That, that's not the right thing. And that's not, it's not a rubber stamp. It's not everyone does those things. But I think you're right. When you see someone and we always kind of joke here, like, Oh my gosh, when, you know, you talk about how 25 years survivors and, you know, things like that, Mm -hmm. they have so much to offer, Mm -hmm. so much to offer. Um, they're invaluable. And so again, it goes back to being, um, someone that can help shoulder that, that load. Mm -hmm. A 25 year survivor has done a lot. And they have, I don't know about you, Ron, but man, I feel calm. I feel like I can go have a uh, conversation with um, our survivors yes. and try to communicate a little bit better. I do too. I do too. You know, um, I hope that all of our listeners have, like I said a second ago, at least picked up one nugget. Mm-hmm. More than likely, you've got a, a bucket full of, of nuggets that you've picked up from this conversation. Um, it's very, very important to communicate. That's, that's the bottom line. That is the bottom line. And the one thing I, I want to go back to, I always like to pick a piece to kind of go back to. And one of the things you said was give yourself permission. And in that case, you were, you were talking about how give yourself permission to, you know, not feel like you have to, or not feel like you should, or not feel like you do. And I think it's that kind of thing too. Just, you have, you guys have permission to communicate your feelings Mm -hmm. and where you are. And if you need help, you can always go to counseling too. Yeah. And it's, it's such a benefit, you know, it's, it's such a benefit to share what it is that you're going through with the people that love you so that they can share too. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you can come together. Because like it or not, they feel like they're right there with you and they are. 
and I think it's it's important to keep uh, keep them updated on kind of a check in, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Natalie, today has been um, really powerful, really important. I think um, I know that uh, um, everybody, if they they say they're not com- not struggling with communication, they're telling you a story, and so. <laughs> We, we, we think it's just been so important, but let's do this. Let's talk about a powerful moment. I know you've had lots of opportunities to work with uh, cancer survivors um, in your practice. And do you have one? Can you, can you pick one powerful moment? You know, Pete's CarSmart Kia uh, helps sponsor our podcast. And so um, think about if you have one powerful, Pete's powerful moment, what would it be? So I was, I was thinking about that um, as I was thinking about this podcast, and I had a couple that came into my mind. Um, they had younger children, and um, the patient was very young, and went through all the treatment, everything that they were supposed to do, and um, went into remission, so that was fantastic, um, but that didn't last for very long, and mm-hmm. so they found out later on that the illness was metastatic, and um, they met with me because um, the the patient was having a lot of anxiety, so they both met with me. But what was really interesting was, especially the first time I met with them, I had a very small two-seater couch in my office, and they were sitting at opposite ends, which was really impressive because it was a really small couch. <laughs> um, and so just by that body language, it told me that they weren't coming together, that they were very separate. And after we talked about it, after, you know, I met with them, what became apparent was they were both anxious, they were both afraid, and they didn't want to burden the other person. And so when we really were talking about what they were experiencing individually, that they realized that they were, they could experience that as a couple. Uh And in doing that, they were able to come together. They were able to make a plan. Um, you know, they they found different avenues that they were able to um, really look for together and support each other through that. And, you know, they're still living with metastatic cancer, um, but they're living it together. They learned how to communicate. Right. Wow. I mean, you're going through it. Mm-hmm. You might as well go through it together. It's a good way to put it. Absolutely. Wow. Powerful. It is. You know, I say this a lot. These podcasts, Pam, and today with with Natalie, I mean, they're so really just raw and and revealing. Uh Um, I learn a lot. And I know, I I hope our listeners are, are, are learning a lot as well. I feel like they probably are. And even better yet, share the podcast um, with your friends, people going through what you've gone through. And there's something for everyone in all these podcasts. That's right. Um, That's right. Natalie, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, it's always great to have um, just a conversation Mm -hmm. um, to learn a little bit better about how to go through this crazy disease easier. And so uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge and for being a part of this. You know, Pam, um, our listeners, as you said, they need to share this. We joke about it. Hit the buttons, right? Subscribe, like, listen, pass it on, share it. Um, maybe you share it with your family. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. those. this is a good one for you to say, hey, Mom, maybe you need to listen to this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you can talk about it, mm-hmm. right? So you've listened to it. 
share it with your family, and then come together and visit. This is a great icebreaker. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, take it and use it. Um, subscribe. And then, of course, join us next week for the next episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Can't wait till then. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.